0: It's a Thursday night. It's Thursday night on 420. Blaze it! Sorry. So what are we doing tonight as you scamper on back to the, I don't know, the couch? The Adirondack chair on the back porch or the front porch? Maybe you're, you're, uh, you're sun tanning somewhere, you're on your lawn chair, your sun chair, maybe you're on the beach, maybe you are in a, uh, a big rig, it might be 3 o'clock in the morning, wherever the hell you are, I'm glad you're back where you're supposed to be, chilling with me for your daily your daily checkup, and tonight, tonight we are going to, I, I'm just so excited about tonight. We have a little stuff to do in the grab bag that'll be uh, current, but I can't wait to dip into the past. That's only two years in the past to continue a conversation that we started with our guest of the evening. His name is Dr. Albert Taylor. He wrote a book years ago called The Soul Traveler, and we were able to talk to him. He's got a very, very interesting story, um, line of work, very, very skilled guy. And we're gonna. I'm gonna go into a little bit of his background. We have to nutshell some things. I don't want to do a, a complete redux of our talk in 2021 because I have so many things to follow up on. We are going into the astral plane. We're talking about out of body experiences. We're talking about. Uh, I, I hope we can bring up near death experiences, and um, and a whole 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 lot more. His story and what he feels is a greater message for everybody else that's uh, that may have questions about what the human the human mind, the human body, the human soul is capable of, and and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. I can't wait to jump into it. So, Albert Taylor will be on with us in about a half hour or so. And welcome to all of you out there, wherever you are. If you're on YouTube, hello YouTube, hello Theta, hello Foxhole, right there on Quite Frankly TV. It's Throwback Thursday, by the way. So you guys. Hang out there now, and I, I know that it was a whole bunch of whole bunch of pre-show stuff leading up to it. The way that we're, we're working at our broadcast systems now, if you're watching on quite QuiteFrankly.tv, you're not waiting around until all of a sudden the screen pops live. You have a pre-show that is going live, and it runs right into this show, and then it runs right into the after show, and there is no seam. It is a seamless transition. So, uh, wherever you are comfortable for the 7 o'clock broadcast, of course, that is your prerogative. It is your your tastes. But uh, give it a try. Give it a try because we're always trying new things over there on quitefrankly.tv. All right. So, tonight... You know what we're doing? That should take up most of the show. I think we should have at least 30 minutes at the end to take some calls, see how people were thinking uh, about things that were said. I'm sure concepts that will show up tomorrow night, Saturday night. So I think that the door is going to be wide open for really awesome outside-of-the-box conversations for the next couple of episodes because it is the end of the week, so we always keep up with what's going on outside, but this is um this is where the fun really is for me. Internal conversations. The Yankees just beat the angels. So there you have it. All right, let's get on into our grab bag for the evening. I just want to get started. Here's the first one up is from the Daily Mail headline It was easy for her to kill. Victim of Russian dominatrix, speaks out as her former friend is sentenced to 21 years for poisoning her with laced cheesecake to steal her identity. Victoria Nazarova, 45 years old, was sentenced sentenced to 21 years in prison in a Queens, New York courtroom on Wednesday for her twisted attempt to poison and kill her friend. Nazarova committed the crime in August of 2016, when she, was tri- when she tricked Olga Tisvik into eating cheesecake laced with uh, finazepam. The former Russian dominatrix was also tied to a string of crimes dating to 2014. I'm surprised she got 21 years. I'm surprised that she was not made part owner of the New York Metropolitans and elected mayor. But she's Russian. So she has to be made an example of, you know. So everybody, as we always say every night on this show, be careful who you take cheesecake from. All right. Here's one up from the the Wall Street Journal. You might have heard about this today. Maybe not. BuzzFeed News is shutting down and Vice World could be next. Chief Revenue Officer and Chief Operating Officer will depart as company faces challenges. BuzzFeed is laying off 15% of its staff and making plans to end BuzzFeed News as it contends with ongoing business challenges. Chief Executive Jonah Peretti said in a note to employees on Thursday, the company is laying off about 180 people of its total base of 1,200 employees. Chief Revenue Officer Edgar Hernandez and Chief Operating Officer Christian Baszler are departing, Buzzfeed said. I mean, whatever, whatever. I mean, do you, do, do you, When was the last time you went to Buzzfeed? It's the same thing over and over again. And if James Clapper has to leak a fake dossier uh, this time around, or anybody like him, they can just go to Yahoo. It doesn't have. If they're in a pinch, they can go to Yahoo or Mother Jones. It doesn't have to be Buzzfeed. So, uh, so there you go. I, I would I would say that they peaked in January of 2017 when they when they gave CNN and Jake Tapper the predicate to go and and uh, do a talk about it. Nobody else wanted to publish it, but it's BuzzFeed. Why not? As far as Vice goes, I mean, how many hand job tutorials can they publish? I mean, everybody knows how to hand, how a hand job works. Okay, at this point, you're either good at it or you're not. But Vice is not going to help you Much more So I, I don't know why the hell Vice is still around Again I know it's people's livelihoods But if they were doing something that people wanted There's just nobody left on the planet That, that doesn't know how to give a hand job. That's the problem Vice would have a thriving business Thriving business model But uh, they really They, they really uh, Limited the scope of their work That's the issue um, let's see what else we have. Over here, another one from the Wall Street Journal. That's because I found these, I found these links and the, and the, the paywall didn't go up yet. I feel like with a Wall Street Journal, there's some kind of a uh, the paywall phantom of the opera over there where, where I, I know that when I click on these links because I see headlines, the entire thing is is available to you. And then you turn away to grab yourself a a drink or something like that. You come back, and all of a sudden the paywall's up. So let's see if it happens now. The Oakland A's. Baseball news. The Oakland A's say that they're leaving Oakland. They're leaving Oakland. They're going to Las Vegas. So Vegas now has the Raiders, and they have the A's. And you know what? Uh, Good for them. I I think that they might have a lot better I I was reading into this I think on this show actually months ago I think that they're actually going to have asses in the seats out there now of course if you're a winning team they gotta win but the A's they finally end up in Vegas started in Philadelphia did they go to Kansas City were they the, the Kansas City Athletics for a little bit I forget but they've been making their way west. And now they've made themselves just a little bit more eastward again. Southeastward, right? I'm trying to, I'm trying to see the map of the United States in my, in my head. Anyway, the Oakland A's are going to Vegas. So anybody I know that we have quite a few people who watch this show in Vegas. Now you've got a major league team. I wish that we were talking about the resurgence of, of independent leagues that were completely unaffiliated with MLB. That would be fun. Oakland A's long and colorful residency in Oakland has generated dynastic World Series champions, some of the best, uh, uh, some of baseball's biggest personalities, and revolutionary roster-building strategy known as Moneyball. But now it's out. They have reached a binding deal to purchase a 49 acre plot of land in Las Vegas, which will be, uh, will become the site of the new ballpark estimated to cost $1.5 billion built with a mixture of public and private financing. It's definitely going to enrich the area. So there you have it. All right. All right. We have some clips from, I don't know, I guess Congress. I see some representatives here and I have one clip of Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. The uh, tuna fish eating senator, who hasn't, you know, brushed his teeth in about thirty five years, could just I can just smell the rotting tuna on his on his breath from here. Here is Democrat, what's what's her name, Pramila Jayapal. She has the 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 goblin face. Here's Representative Goblin Face, defending mass illegal immigration. Uh, And then finally, you know, saying what everybody's thinking all the time. Who's going to clean our homes? Who's going to do all the grunt work that nobody else wants to do? (laughs) Thinking that she's being a, a champion for the poor here.
1: This country needs immigrants to survive. Immigrants pick the food we eat, rebuild our communities after climate disasters, help construct our infrastructure, power our small business economy, clean our homes, and look after the most precious in our families.
0: Yeah, there are nannies, there are our uh, housekeepers, and they they uh, they they dig, they dig up, I don't know what, after we have climate disasters, call in the immigrants. What what, what are you? What is she talking about? So distracted by her face, but um, what is she talking I about? Mean, she sounds a lot like what's her name? Who's the Osborne? Kelly Osborne? You remember that in two thousand fifteen? who is she? she's on the view and she thought she was really about to drop the mic and then she realized that she was saying the quiet part out loud who is going to clean your toilets donald trump and then all of a sudden uh uh, rosie perez is like well they don't just clean toilets And, and it's like oh no oh i didn't mean it like that you know i didn't mean it like that i'm liberal i'm liberal so they're all um they're just detestable creatures and i emphasize creature Because nobody's born like this. They're created this way. They are created. Let's see here. Here is Representative Rosa DeLauro. She's from Connecticut. Very an odd-looking duck, again, highlights the vital work that Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is doing to ensure that female crash test dummies. This is not a joke. I double-checked, and then I checked again. Triple-checked. It's not a joke. Female test dummies are used in crash testing to fight the gender inequality among crash victims. Listen to this.
2: You also plan to make important investments to uh, address the roadway safety crisis, including the critical funding that would accelerate the development. And this is an area I've, I've written to you about of the use of female uh, dummies and crash testing
0: that jingling that you hear uh is all of the uh the yard sale the yard sale jewelry that this that this snow white looking witch over here i i i, I wouldn't be surprised if afterwards she was handing out red apples to everybody in the uh in, in the chamber so the jingling you hear is all of her yard sale jewelry that she she got she, she probably traded for she' probably traded for it all. I'll give you some candles. um so just in case you need just in case you need to see or understand again how little they actually have to do in Congress, what they have that the fact that she has written in she's taken time out of her job as a representative to the House to demand that we have female crash test dummies. We are talking about, oh my gosh. Let's just, let's. let's, let's,
2: Including the critical funding that would accelerate the development, and this is an area I've I've written to you about of the use of female uh, dummies in crash testing. This will start to fight the gender inequity among vehicle safety and crash victims.
0: See, See, there's a gender inequity. We need to make sure that as many men are dying as women. There are two... <laughs> just, we need we need to make sure that the gender inequity in crash victims... What are you talking about? You, did she know that the, the dummies aren't actually driving the cars? Does she understand that? Does she? I, I know that it sounds jokey. I'm not joking. Do you think Rosa DeLauro understands that crash test dummies don't actually drive the cars? And... How would she know if a crash test dummy isn't already female? Can you imagine writing into the transportation department that should not exist? It's not—it's—it's it's, it's unconstitutional. Should not exist. Can you imagine writing in and saying um, there has never been a five foot three, one hundred twenty-five pound man ever? We need to do something about this. No, you see this this five foot three, one hundred twenty five pound dummy. No, that it can never have been a man ever. You see this five foot eleven, one hundred seventy pound dummy. That could have never ever been a woman. Why? It's it's just it's just plastic and stuffing. It's pillows. What are you talking about? So all you ladies out there who have uh, genetics, you have genetics that have been passed down for you that made you tall. Amazonian like you look like one of those uh one of those avatars just slender beautiful what well, you, you you don't uh, you're too manly the crash test dummies for men they cover you you're not you you have not been represented properly it's so ridiculous so there's there's government for you you wonder why you wonder why nothing gets done and only horrible things gets done here's bernie sanders he starts harping on the... I, what is this? The uh, He's back to the pay gap again. The fake wage gap between men and women. Listen to this.
1: We need a labor secretary who understands that it is unacceptable that women in this country are earning just 84 cents on the dollar compared to men, and that we need equal pay for equal work. Something this committee will also address.
0: Yeah, you going to trust that? People, people need to be people 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 we uh i can't i um he's another one now the wage gap is a myth we've done that many times in the show over the years maybe we'll do it again sometime soon and it's a myth that's used to turn young girls impressionable young girls into social justice jihadists okay it's a gap that virtually disappears when you account for life choices that men and women tend to make without any kind of coercion. All right? Uh, But again, how can there be a gap between sexes when sex is disappearing? I think we can close the gap completely if we had a couple of more men declare themselves as women. A few more men a year, a couple more CEOs a year... Those big big numbers that really really move the average along, those outliers. I think we should do that. So, but that's just it, because otherwise it's just a it, it's all a myth. Women on average work safer jobs for less hours. They pri- prioritize family, vocations, vocational work, service more than mechanical manual labor, which are higher paying, more dangerous. uh, Women are less likely to die on the job like men are. But still, we have to listen to this crap because, you know, if I don't say it, somebody else will. And then what, who am I, I? what am I? People will not listen to me unless I continue this bullshit. Now I'm gonna have a little bit of tuna, I'll be fine afterwards. And uh, we will reconvene here After a short recess. That's what we get from this mumbling vampire. And the rest of them, too. My gosh. And then just, this isn't a joke either. It's really from his account. Senator John Fetterman. It's 4.20 p.m. on 4.20. That's the tweet. And there he is standing there with a 4.20. It's a 4.20 somewhere flag. A weed flag. United States Senator fighting for the people of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. fighting for consciousness as well. Oh, my gosh. Does that look like a guy who gets the joke? Look at his face. Look at that guy's face. He doesn't know what's going on. They said, John, hold this up, please. John? John? Hold this up. The flag. The flag. Hold it up. It's just, it's just so sad, and uh, I'm finding it funnier and funnier. I know that's, it conflicts a little bit, but everything does these days. It's 7.15. We have a great show ahead of us. Thankfully, we are going to be able to distance ourselves from this madness and talk, I don't know, talk about something a little bit more deep and spacey, and I can't wait to do it. Don't go anywhere. We will be right, right back.
3: Have you any idea how su- su- successful censorship is on TV? Don't, don't know the answer? Hmm. Successful, isn't it?
4: <laughs> you let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay?
3: Let's ride!
0: Thank you for being here, everybody. So good to have you.
3: Oh shit!
0: I don't know if you noticed, but uh, every they're calling it the 4:20 Twitter Blue Check Holocaust because all of the old verified accounts the legacy accounts they have lost their blue check mark and if you want one you got to be like a uh, a public a verified public figure like a a senator or something or you got to get into twitter blue and they're calling the whole I don't know why maybe because it's Hitler's birthday today I don't know why you know how they they need something they need something to talk about but the crying I would like to ask if from now on anybody that goes and weeps on Twitter about one thing or another, can we call it, please, can we call it tweeping? They have they have been tweeping all day, these people. Tweeping, tweeping, tweeping. Listen to this. Here's Julie Milner, a freelance journalist for the New York Times. She said, hold on, where is it? Elon thinks this is a funny joke, talking about an April 19th tweet from Twitter Verified. said, tomorrow, 420, we are removing legacy verified checkmarks. To remain verified on Twitter, individuals can sign up for Twitter Blue here. Elon thinks this is a funny joke. As a former verified account who lost their blue checkmark, I know how dangerous this really is. People are going to die. Celebrities are being made, are being defamed left and right. Internet live streamers Hassan Piker has brought attention to several impersonators, including one who is telling people that he's a homosexual. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that like like telling somebody that you have a superpower? I can't put together the words to explain how big of a deal this is. Shut the f. Fu- try not being a, a a a a whiny harridan. How about that? Can you stop being a harridan, just for a second? people will die if the blue checks are not figured out. Ugh. God. You know, I actually just let my Twitter blue expire because I had not I had not been uploading highlights of the show. We've been so backed up with doing uh r- you know, revamps all over the place, the website, a lot of on-screen stuff that we're testing right now, things at the network that eventually when that all levels out and the branding is consistent again and we've got we've, we've upgraded everything then I want to get down to concentrating on really just chopping up what we got what we have going on in the average two-hour show and getting those clips everywhere and Twitter blue was like eight ninety-nine or something like that and you can upload almost limitless I can almost upload full episodes, which is not what I'm looking to do, but it'd be great to upload clips that are three to five minutes long. And for a while we were doing it. You know, there are other really good things that Twitter blue allowed you to do that you couldn't do on old Twitter either. So it was never about the blue check Mark. I couldn't g- give two shits if the, the the check was there. In fact, if they gave us an opportunity not to display it, I would have, I just wanted the features, but people really need this. This is a this is an issue for some people. Like they, they are they are really working through something on this one. Here is Scotus Blog. It's an independent news and analysis uh, account on on Twitter that analyzes U.S. Supreme Court. They've been doing it since two thousand two. Well, not on Twitter since two thousand two. But uh, anyway, they're saying they're leaving. Check this out. This is from three thirty today. SCOTUS blog says buy Twitter. And then was that a smiley face? No, oh, it's a sad face because they're sad. The tipping point was having to pay for verification when we feel we add a lot of value. We also feel solidarity with NPR and share. You know, it's not verification. It's validation. That's what this is. This is not about verification. It's validation. We also feel solidarity with NPR and share concerns about Twitter's direction. You can find us on the blog and on TikTok if we join another platform. If we join another platform, we'll send word here. This is an account that has 625,000 followers. What, What more validation do you need? Apparently, you have people who follow you. And you have a brand that people recognize just continue to operate. No, we needed that blue mark. Without the blue mark, then what is this all about? So pathetic. So pathetic. I'm glad that that just doesn't affect me. That kind of craziness. Uh, as far as last night's show, though, I um, I got to say, it was wonderful. And I uh, I really want to be able to chop up Interviews like that and save it and get it into the archives and and make sure we always come back to it to listen to these things especially um, Especially many many years in the future when people like G. Edward Griffin are no longer around Uh, It's just so awesome to have these these people on on uh, on tape with us and What was your favorite part about last night's show because I know a couple people emailed me with that one line He dropped many bombs last night, but I believe the Moab was when he said that young people's role role models today are being selected by our enemies. And the reason why it was deeper than just saying, you know, our enemies control Hollywood and all that stuff. I don't think he was just talking about celebrities and entertainment. He was talking about political influencers as well. And, um, and you know how there is, there's gotta be a, uh, that, that new media is a two-sided, a two-sided, um, blade. And I gotta say, yeah, there's a lot of infighting and there's a lot of real ugliness that, uh, is only increasing. It's only increasing. There's a lot of baby elephants that have tried to wiggle their way into the tent and, um, Yeah, well, everything is point and click these days. So that was incredible. Really incredible last night. I'd love to hear more of what you guys noticed in it all. So now, listen, Dr. Albert Taylor, this is a guy who I have heard interviewed all over the place in the past. And he's got a book out that he's been uh, selling for a long time. And he's got a new YouTube account. I think he's starting a... um, I think he has a new podcast. It's called The Paranormal Spin. Here it is over here on YouTube, The Paranormal Spin. I just subscribed to it today when he told me about it. It's got three episodes. They're very short, but he's working on a fourth. He co-hosts it with a robot that he created, and he's very, very talented in that respect on a technical level. So we're going to go and review a little bit of his, his, uh, his training and how work that he was doing with the government on aeronautics and everything else uh, became something altogether and he left and now he is on this journey that he's here. So I welcome him all back if you can. In your hearts, in your mind, let's call up Dr. Albert Taylor right now. hello Frank hello what's going on dr Albert Taylor welcome back no, to the I'm show
4: just firing up my head my uh, headphones hold on a second
0: you got it <clears throat> one second okay, everybody say something you hear me uh,
4: no it didn't switch over uh, hold
0: on we're switching right now ladies and gentlemen Second. Give us a moment, ladies and gents.
3: Just a second here.
4: Uh... Oh, I figured that. You got it? You're coming in loud
0: and clear. Wonderful, and so are you. And, and, you know, before we get started, Dr. Taylor, I just want to say, uh, welcome back. Uh, A lot of people have asked about you over the last couple of years since your 2001 appearance. And, uh, you know, I I don't know what was going on, but I knew you were dealing with something. And I'm so happy that you're feeling good enough to come on and hang out with us now and that you're working again.
4: Yeah, um, you know, I, I was the victim of misdiagnosis. Oh, so geez. the treatment I was getting wasn't making me better. So it went on for almost two and a half years until I have to say I'm so glad that I have I'm a veteran too. So I I decided to go to the VA hospital and they're the ones who solved the problem. And wow. got me on the right treatment and I feel fantastic.
0: That's wonderful to hear because you know we we have a lot of vets that call into the show or write into the show and it's always a mixed bag when they talk about their experiences at the VA. So I I'm, I'm I'm glad that you are that uh, they solved a a very con- I'm I'm sure concerning problem for you. Whenever whenever something dominates more than a a year of your life, that must be uh that must be really terrifying at times.
4: Yeah, I you know, I did since I didn't know what it was. I literally felt like I, my life force was winding down, and that's a horrible uh, uh, feeling, you know, especially going on for two years, and they're telling you that you should be getting better, and you're not, but um, I, like I explained to you last time, the light at the end of the tunnel was that it was not fatal. It was horrible, but it, there was a, it wasn't fatal, so that kept me from worrying too much.
0: Well, there's a lot more. There's something about this right there that is definitely going to pop up along the way in our talks tonight. And um, uh, we'll, but we'll get there in time. Uh, what I want to do is I want to reintroduce you to some of the of the audience that had were not around in 2021 when we first spoke. Now you were an, you're an engin- you are an engineer scientist. You left your job on the International Space Station after a myriad of paranormal. And spiritual experiences and you went to go and author and promote your book soul traveler and uh, since you haven't been around for a while this is what I want to uh, to bring up I would love if you can summarize this time in your life that that moment with the with the ISS and everything else where you are working on this very sensitive aeronautical project or all these projects for our government but then you had this call to investigate what was happening to you at night that that call was so great that you reprioritized everything in your life. Can you please tell us a little bit about that just for those who have not heard it before?
4: Well, first of all, um, I was raised Catholic. I have to say that because that comes with a certain amount, certain type of belief system and that was never what was going on with me was never discussed in any way, shape or form. And, it was also um, fueled or filtered, I should say, by the uh, superstition that my family had regarding uh, something called night paralysis, which I've been dealing with all my life since I was five years old. Um, I never thought of it being anything more than some kind of abnormality, uh, and if you, you um, I thought there was something, but but because it was. Um, A lot of members in my family also had that problem. Um, We just accepted it as maybe possibly, you know, genetic or something like that.
0: Well, let me ask you, let me interrupt just for a second. Could you expand a little bit on night paralysis, how this was a commonly held thing in your family? Uh, What was exactly happening?
4: Well, um, I would wake up and I'd go to bed, you know, as a kid, five years old, go to bed, um, fall asleep, and then some... Time during the night, maybe after one o'clock or around that time, you'd wake up, but all of a sudden you were unable to move. Um, you could see and I could hear, but I couldn't move my body. And my grandmother would say that the witches are riding you uh, because you were bad that day, and <laughs> so that was their way of Great. punishing me. That's what. The, so that's the superstition that I grew up with all my life. But as an engineer scientist. You know, on the space station and, and a veteran and all those other things I've done. You know, I, was, I helped design the, the stealth fighter and a few other vehicles and GPS. I, you know, of course, I didn't believe that superstition. I just, that I went from superstition to just genetic abnormality or, uh, or a slight problem with my sleep process. So I didn't think much of it, except I didn't like it because it feels very uncomfortable when you wake up into that situation. You feel like you can't breathe. You feel like there's a weight on your chest sometimes. You may hear sounds, you may hear, see images moving. It, it's just uh, without any reference to connected with, it's, it's a scary kind of situation. All of a sudden, I was 35 years old, and the sleep paralysis went from happening periodically, maybe once or twice a week, Maybe, I'd say less than that, maybe uh, once every two weeks. It went from once every two weeks to happening three times a night. So it got my attention suddenly Jeez. and yeah, and I had to deal with it in some kind of way. Um, I did a first thing, you know, the sensible thing I did was I went to the doctor and I had all kinds of uh, neurological testing done and psychological testing and all kinds of things, and I got a clean, clean bill of health. So I realized no, I don't know what this is, but I'm a researcher now. I'm just going to do research on my, this experience or this phenomenon and see what it is or if I can understand what it is. And I was thinking maybe I could find some kind of medical cure for it. I wasn't thinking of anything beyond the physical at all. And so I began to document this, which I had no idea, uh, Frank, that that would become my book. And that was, my book is me documenting, documenting what was happening to me during that process. After I'd seen the doctor and he gave me a clean bill of health to actually finding out, Oh my God, I do have a soul and this is related to it and and part of it.
0: Now, let me ask you this. It's because it's one thing to say, I'm, I'm having, I I think a lot of people in the audience will recognize that as sleep paralysis. Um, You, you use the term night paralysis and, and you're describing what I knew to be sleep paralysis. Right. How do you get from that point of, you know, once every two weeks you're feeling that you're getting stuck in this state to three times a night. How do you get from that state of paralysis to suddenly being outside of yourself? The, the out of body experience. How did that evolve?
4: Well, you know, um, there's another um piece to the puzzle was that all my life, since I was five years old, I've had some I had something happen to me that I call, told my mom um when I was five, "Mom, I wake up in my dreams and you know and what I meant by that is i I would become fully aware that I was in my body was asleep or I was in a dream state, and I could manipulate the dream, and I've been doing that since I was five. But I didn't think that big a deal of it, and, then, and later on in life, when, when all those this started happening, you know, I was reading, I think it was the Omni magazine, and they were talking about lucid dreaming. And I thought, oh my God, that's what I do, I, I can do, that's what I do, lucid dreaming. I still hadn't connected it to anything beyond that. I didn't connect it to the night paralysis even, I didn't know they were related. So during that period of time where I started experiment, experimenting on myself, writing down everything that happened to me during the day, that evening, what I ate, uh, when the paralysis came on, what was associated with it, because there was a lot more things going on than made sense in the magazine and in any other area that I'd done research on. Um, one of the things that happened to me when I was a little kid is I would periodically hear my voice, my, my name being called like Albert, that kind of thing. And sometimes I would see an image moving around the room. So you can imagine at five years old, I was terrified of this experience. Um, at 35, I decided to, I started looking and reading books and looking into other types of phenomena that was similar. And the closest thing I found was, people who were having near-death experiences they some of them woke up paralyzed and some of them heard their name being called that kind of thing so i found this uh doctor who had had a near-death experience and she was teaching a class and talking about it so i decided to go to her class and while i was sitting there she said she'd started describing her near-death experience which i think she fell through a glass coffee table or something and and almost bled out and Found herself, you know, out of her physical body, seeing neighbors and relatives who passed and things like that. Um, and then she looked at the class. She addressed the class. She said, "Has anybody ever felt paralyzed that night?" And I've never, outside of my family, no one ever said that to me or asked that question. I didn't even know other people outside of my family had sleep paralysis or night paralysis, depending on when you go to lie down. Um, I didn't, I, that shocked me and I raised my hand immediately and said, yeah, it happens happening to me like three times a night. And she point. she was the first one that pointed at me and she said, you may be having out of body experiences. I didn't. And I have, I I have to tell you, I laughed because I didn't believe in that stuff. I thought, Oh yeah, right. And, and, and I said, I don't, I, I told her frankly, you know, I'm a researcher, I'm a scientist. I don't believe in that stuff. And she said, you can't tell me what you don't know. And I thought, well, that made sense to me. And I decided, well, because it's happening to me every night, I'm going to go home and just dissect this thing as much as I and analyze it as much as I possibly can and see if there's any, any truth to it regarding what she was saying. And I had no idea that I set up a period of 10 days for heavy duty research um, blocking out the rest of the world and just focusing in on this, on the phenomenon that was happening to me. And slowly every day, I had no idea that it was going to reveal something that was beyond what I ever, ever dreamed of. And I have to, and then it, one, one of the things that I discovered is that I could induce the paralysis, not every time, but maybe about seven times out of 10, I could induce it by repeating certain things that I did that day and have an experience. Now, this is the thing is all of a sudden I realized this is what it feels like when I have a lucid dream, except I don't remember having the paralysis first. I hadn't connected it, but the experience itself was the same. And I thought, have I been having out-of-body experiences all this time or mixed with dream material and didn't know it? And that's where I began to explore that, and the results of which changed my life forever.
0: See, that's where I, th- this is where I have a lot of things that I start wondering. Okay, what's the difference between the out-of-body experience, um, and h- how do you know that you're just not? This is not a very vivid, lucid dream, and uh, and then you are you actually being out of your body and having control over that. So the the between. Lucid dreaming and being out of your body and then of course the whole it is is out-of-body experience part Is that is that remote viewing or are those two different things? That's that's uh, the,
4: Those well, so. that's a twofold question. Let me just say this real quick Remote viewing is an altered state of consciousness and so is out of by experience. So they are related. Yes How do you and as a researcher? I need proof so I didn't automatically jump to the conclusion that I was having an out-of-body experience. I needed to find out if I'm having some kind of out-of-body experience or something, it's got to be connected to the real world in some kind of way. Um, so on one of the nights of my experiment, I decided to, I talked to, I had one friend uh, at space station that I could talk to who was uh, a metaphysician. She was a metaphysical person, type person. And I, I mentioned to her about what was going on and she said, hey, if, if you're having this, you know, see if you can see me. Come to see me. And that was also with the doctor who I attended her class. She also suggested that if you're having these experiences, she said, think about me. So one night of that 10-day experiment, I thought about my friend Kim. And, um, and well, let me t- start back up a little bit. I went through the, I, by this time, I had figured out how to cause it to happen, maybe, you know, about 70% of the time, 7 out of 10. So I went through the pre- procedure of having the paralysis come on. Um, I felt vibration, like my body was trembling, like an oscillation It was steady. I mean, in California, we say that's an earthquake, but that's not what was happening to hmm. me. Um, I heard a loud roaring sound. I mean, deafening loud, roaring sound, accompanied with it, um, I felt the paralysis come on, and then I thought I was leaning my head against my headboard of my bed, and my headboard began to move downward, and I thought, well, that feels strange, and all of a sudden, I could see, and I didn't, you know, I, I didn't open my eyes physically, at least I didn't command my eyes, eyes to open, and another thing I noticed is that not only could I see the room, is I could see it very clearly and I wear glasses, so it shouldn't have been that clear. And I also noticed that looking around, that everything had its own inner glow to it, which was different from the, my normal vision. I also noticed that there was this big white surface in front of me that almost like a wall blocking my, my view and i i looked around and i could see the blades of the ceiling fan right next to me so i was in a different perspective from being just in my bed i was closer to the ceiling Mm. another thing i noticed is that normally i have i have the television at the end of my bed and to watch television i normally have to sit up uh, like with a you know in a sitting position so i can see the bottom of the screen so, but lying down, I could only see half of the screen of my television. From this perspective that I was at, not only could I see the, the entire screen, television screen, but I could see where my television actually touched the floor, which was, a, in order to do that, I'd have to be literally standing in my bed. And then I thought about my friend, Kim, and I said, I, I want to see my friend, Kim. And this startled me, I have to tell you this. Is all of a sudden I felt hands on me. Um, I couldn't see them, but I could, and, and they weren't forceful, but it was gentle. And I felt like these hands on me and pushing me toward the window. And I actually went through the window, it, and it felt really odd because it, it ever you know taking a bubble bath, guys don't do that anymore. We take showers, I guess. Yeah, I guess. But, I, you know, you create a bunch of bubbles and then you push your finger through the bubble and the bubble kind of adheres to your finger. it doesn't break right away. Yeah, that's how the glass felt. It felt like it was kind of adhering to my skin or whatever. I was gonna I
0: ask had. what does it feel like to pass through a solid wall?
4: it, it doesn't you don't feel anything except for a slight um, let's see like like um, like a feather moving across your skin. Okay. There's no restriction. But the sensitivity, the sensation is there, Mm. but there's no restriction. Um, but the glass wise, um, I pushed through the glass and like, like I said, I still had these hands kind of guiding me and all of a sudden I was flying and it wasn't flying in a way that I wasn't familiar with. It was exactly the same way that I'd flown in my lucid dream that I, you know, waking up in my dreams kind of thing. Um... After a time period, after a time period, um, I found myself being drawn down to this. Um, oh, this is really interesting. I thought this was really interesting in my experience. I've been. I was drawn down to a, a street, uh, and by the time, and I was. I ended up standing in the middle of a street. Didn't know where I was. I had even forgotten why, what I was trying to do. I'd forgotten all about trying to visit my friend Kim. It's as if I was detached from my brain, which could remember all that stuff and this consciousness or wherever I was, didn't care about any of that. It seemed very trivial. And I, it took me, I had to struggle to try to remember what I was trying to do. And then it, I, it dawned on me, I was trying to visit my friend Kim, focused in on her again. And I was drawn from with the hands, the assistance from the street up to a second floor, a second story apartment building entered through the apartment the wall and found myself in like a dining room and one thing i noticed and i'm still thinking this is a great dream you know and that's about it and, and, but it, it was fun it was cool mm-hmm. um i noticed that in the dining room there was this huge chandelier and it was so big it really looked like it didn't belong there it was too big for the room um i moved down the hallway and you don't walk like you would walk in the physical body you have options, is the best way I can put it. And I kind of slid down the the hallway. I didn't have to walk, I could kind of slide, or not quite floating, because I could feel the floor, but more like sliding, like Gumby did in the old cartoon days. Wow. I I found myself at this one bedroom, and entered the bedroom and I looked, there were two beds in the bedroom. I thought, okay, if I'm really here, this is a good thing to remember. And then I noticed that there was was one window, but it was in very odd shape or place in the bedroom, meaning over in one corner of the wall. Usually there's a window in the middle of the wall and there's two beds on either side. This was on the far corner. And I also noticed, I looked out the window slightly and I noticed there was a telephone pole blocking half of the window and there was an alleyway outside where the telephone pole was and trash cans, that kind of thing. And I thought, okay, if I'm really here, this is a good thing to remember. And, and, um, I decided, okay, I've had enough of this. I wanted it to end. So I, I moved out of the, the glass through the window and I'm floating above the alleyway and I moved down, I could see a street sign and I moved down toward the street sign and I looked at the street sign and I figured, try to figure out where I was and, and I couldn't read it. it, it I saw the, the letters, but they made absolutely no sense. It was almost like hieroglyphics or something. And I, I later on, I found out we, you're not, you don't have your physical brain consciousness to decipher this particular space and time that I live in hmm. to help you with that. so none of that, it was, all of that was irrelevant. Uh, and I thought, okay, uh, I just want this to end whatever, I just wanted to go back. And then the hands, I felt the hands gently caress me and. The speed I traveled at was incredible and I literally felt like I was dropped from the ceiling into my bed and I, I woke up with a deep breath and I turned on the lights and I grabbed my journal and I went running through the house, turning on all the lights in the house and sat down and I wrote all this down in my journal about what happened. The next day, I saw my friend Kim and I said, you know, Kim, I think I, ha- I had one of those experiences but I have no idea if if it was real or not. And I started describing what I had seen um, to her. And the first thing I described was the dining room. And she told me, yeah, I have a chandelier in there that I bought at a swap meet, and it's for the house that we're moving into, but it's way too big for the, the dining room, but I wanted to hang it up anyway because it looks so beautiful. I thought, okay, is that a coincidence? And then I described the hallway and the bedroom at the end of the hallway. And told her about the two beds and the odd window. And and before I could finish what I was saying, she said, I don't know why they put that window in the corner of the room like that, because half of it is blocked by a telephone pole. And I thought, Oh my God. Oh boy. What? And, and the, the alleyway matched what she, what uh, I described to her. And I thought, okay, so I wrote all this down in my diary, which is my book. And I said, interesting, Maybe. And that's about it. Now, a, a couple of days later, because this went on, this deep, heavy experiment went on for about 10 days, I thought the next time I got out of my or got into the paralysis and found myself floating, that kind of thing, I'm going to think about the doctor who taught that class. Now, you've got to remember, I don't know where she lives. I had no idea where she lived. I knew her name and that kind of thing, but um, I had no idea even what city she lived in. I made the same request, similar to what I did before. The same kind of gentle hands assisted me to move beyond the window and up into the the sky. But this time, I decided on my way to where, and I wasn't in control of the direction because I guess I'd already made my request, but I could control the speed and the altitude in which I got there. So I decided to fly as high as I could, and I flew incredibly high, very rapidly. And I wanted to fly really, really fast. And I flew incredibly fast, faster than I'd ever remember flying before. And then eventually, I was brought down uh, toward this neighborhood that I'd never been to, toward a rooftop, and I, I almost thought I was gonna crash into the roof. And penetrating the roof was really interesting, Frank. As I penetrated the roof, I could see, um, um what do you call it uh insulations fiberglass insulation and wiring in the attic uh uh right below the roof the the tile and then i i found myself in a bedroom that i'd never been to and i noticed that there were two beds in the bedroom uh um one of the beds was pushed way on the other side of the room which was interesting they were very they weren't t- next to each other like lucy and and desi slept mm-hmm. <laughs> They were separated by a lot, and the, the person in the bed in front of me was the doctor. And I thought, well, okay, this is great, I might be here, this is great if I'm really here, let me look around and see if I can remember as much as I can. So the first thing I noticed was that her one of her legs was outside of the covers, and there was something big and white wrapped around her one of her legs. And I thought, okay, it looked like a cast to me like she had broken her leg or something. And I thought, okay, if that, if I'm really here, that's, that's a good thing to remember. And then I looked at the other bed and I noticed there was somebody in the other bed, except they were, you know, quite a ways away from her in her bed. And I thought, okay, if, if I'm really here, that's another good thing to remember that the beds are separated by a a large distance. And I normally don't share this because I just don't usually share it with metaphysical people and things like that. But there was this brilliant being that just appeared next to her bed that startled me and shocked me and, and it didn't feel threatening. It just felt like it was attached to her in some kind of way. But I'd never seen any or heard anything about that. And it didn't look like, it didn't have wings, you know, and we Catholics believe in angels with wings. It didn't have that, but it didn't, you know, it felt warm, loving kind of thing. And I thought, okay, this, all of this overloaded my senses. and I thought, okay, it's time for me to go, to go back. And I felt the hands again, grab me, uh, this, the scene that I was standing in immediately rushed away from me at an incredible rate of speed. And I again, I felt like I was dropped from the ceiling into my physical body. I jumped up, turned on the lights, and I ran around, I ran around my house, turned on all the lights and wrote all this down. Um, the next class for this doctor was on a Sunday and I went down to the local college where she was teaching it. And we were sitting there and I, I was dying to ask her or to share with her what happened to me. And, finally during the break i got a chance to talk to her and i said you know um i had another one of those experiences paralysis and flying experiences that i told you about and i said i asked to see you and i had a dream that i was standing at the foot of your bed you were in the bed and i could see you and your leg was outside the covers and i guess I looked at her leg, and then she didn't have a cast on it, so it wasn't broken. I said, I thought it was broken. You had a cast on your leg. And she said, no. She said, but I do sleep with a heating pad on my leg because I have arthritis in my knee, Gee. and it does help me, and I thought, oh, my God. And then I said, well, I know you're married, and I said, but the other bed that's in your bedroom or in that bedroom I was in was way on the other side of the room. and." it looked kind of odd way over there. And she said, my husband has sleep apnea and snores and makes all kinds of noises at night. So he pushes his bed to the other end of the bedroom so that it doesn't disturb me. And I, I left that and I wrote down, I went back home and I wrote all this down in my diary and I thought, Oh my God, is this, this a maybe, you know, is this possibly. And, and then I started thinking, what are we, because I didn't think I was unique because it was also happening to people in my family, what are we that we can do these kind of things? You know, the Catholics always talk about having a soul, you know, and, and going to like going to confession and your soul gets dirty throughout the day and you go to confession and the priest washes it off for you and you get relieved of your, your sins and you go back out and, and, and play with the world again. That's why Catholics always talk about like it was an object. Uh, In your pocket or something, but the experiences I was having and from listening to the near-death description I was thinking oh my god. What if we are souls? We are the souls everything every aspect of us, you know the consciousness the sense of humor all that is an attribute of our souls and That's when I started pursuing this a lot more and trying to duplicate it and I have to tell you this one one time that really, really changed everything for me. Um, I, was, I had, I had the, this incredible experience of flying around and, and, and I, this being of some sort was, I didn't know it was with me. I thought I was flying by myself. And then I looked down and I could see this image of this individual, which, which didn't frighten me, but it, there, I wasn't alone which I, surprised me. And I had this, uh, when I returned back to my physical body, I was laying there trying to reconnect and all of it. And I'm going to try to describe this the best way, way I can is I felt like the state that I was in before I connected to my physical body was my natural state. I, and, and instead of the opposite feeling, you know, when you're in your physical body with your five senses, that's usually your natural state. So instead but of I've,
0: instead of being in dreamland, you f- you started looking at the world, the the everyday earth life as the real dreamland, and what you were in was actual reality.
4: Exact, exact. I couldn't have put it better myself. That exa- That's exactly what happened. And with that, though, came this understanding that my physical body was something that could expire but the consciousness that I was at that particular moment in time would go on forever. I have and to, okay, it was timeless.
0: I have to ask you a few things here because I, I really want to make sure that we, we get a lot of new stuff under our belt for the, the last, uh, you know, 35 minutes or so that we have now here's a question, a big one. And it's a question that not only I had, I, I received a couple of emails about this after your first appearance. It It's, it's open source at this point that various appendages of our government have invested untold resources into psychic warfare, psychic spying, metaphysical studies, remote viewing, all of that. Were you ever approached about this once your superiors found out uh, why you left their ranks? I mean, you left left very prestigious technical jobs with our government, military, contracting, all that stuff, space, and now you're going off to investigate why you're able to leave your body at night and um I, did you did anybody ever reach out to you because
4: well you... i can tell you this i didn't tell anybody i had a secret clearance but there's what, no way but then
0: you put hey. you published a book though that, i mean there's... yeah
4: i was gone by that time <laughs> i left that but while i was there at space station and and uh i was on the stealth fighter and the b1 bomber And, and, uh, I was on, uh, um, SDI strategic defense initiative, which was, uh, the star Wars program while I was working on those with a clearance, secret clearance that I'd had since I was 18 years old, believe it or not, I wasn't going to risk that in any way, shape or form. Kim, my friend, Kim, that was at the space station was the only person that I mentioned to while I was working there that I was having these experiences after I left the, the, the. the that aerospace department of defense then and wrote the book then it didn't matter because I wasn't you know worried about losing a clearance or losing my job but I didn't mention anything to anyone in that area because um, I don't believe I would be employed there I think hmm. they would let me go
0: well let me okay so then let me ask you this but so, well, and, and just to be clear, after you left and after you published a book, still nobody at your your old employers ever really checked in on you. They never uh, put, they never uh, kept tabs on you and and the things that you were doing. I I would think that that would be easy for them to say, hey, why don't you come back in? We'd love to actually help you fund this research or something like that.
4: Well, um, I mean, let me explain my experience and what let me how my interaction with that in that world is. Um, First of all, yes, I did mention it to some uh, other person, and that person was my secretary. And she had a major, when I first mentioned it before I left, right before I left, I mentioned it, and it did not go over well. Um, She mentioned it to her husband, and it didn't, he didn't, that didn't go over well. And one day when I was walking down the hallway on my way to leave, um, she literally saw me coming and moved to the other side of the hallway and walked right past me as if I wasn't there. So she was afraid or didn't want to speak to me or whatever. Um, that's how, that, but you know, a uh, happy ending, something ha- uh, pleasant happened after that because I saw her um, a weeks later, maybe months later after that, and I saw her on the street and she was coming toward me and I figured she was going to ignore me again. And she ran up to me and she hugged me around the neck and said, oh my god, I finally know what you're talking about. I had a similar experience. So it did change, but a lot of people aren't ready to uh, uh, embrace this kind of experience, which I totally understand. Now, regarding um, the secret clearance in that world of secrecy, what I did, everything has a need to know. You can't just move from one department to another, or even sometimes one component in a and a vehicle or a spacecraft to another. Everything is a need to know. There's different hierarchies of clearances. I had a secret secret gold uh, clearance. There's secret silver, and secret silver, secret gold, and then there's uh, top secret uh, silver and top secret gold, and then it goes up from there. Um, so what I was doing had zero to do with anything beyond that particular function. I was in, uh, worked in optics and one of my jobs is uh, making sure that um, maybe um, on-orbit maintenance from certain personnel could be accomplished. Um, Like I would come up with the steps for the astronauts to use to repair the space station, to swap out a module or like, or or repair GPS or in when I was working on classified stuff. To repair the different satellites, that doesn't. The and that's all compartmentalized. You don't really bleed in and go chat like in a in a coffee shop and chat with other people about other non-related systems. That, gotcha. It just doesn't happen. Gotcha. So so that didn't. Then so I didn't get approached by anybody like that, um, and I don't know if I would have uh, agreed to that because something happened. And I became, it, it changed me. Um, like I was, I was alluding to when I was telling you that all of a sudden I knew exactly that was my normal state and that the waking state was more of the dream state. When I got back to my physical body and I opened my eyes, this time I didn't jump up and grab my journal and go running to the house, turn the lights on. I laid there with my eyes open on the pillow and tears rolled out of my eyes onto the pillow because I, I felt like, Oh, my God, I'm finally home. I know exactly who I was. And I have to tell you, that was, oh, my God, I was in my late 30s, maybe. I, when that happened, some people call it a kundalini experience, which I don't fully know exactly what that is. But um, I have to tell you that at that particular point, the fear of death permanently left me because it's not about a belief system that I have. I know what I experienced. And it doesn't matter if anybody believes me. I have the peace within myself that I know a part of me is going to continue on. So um, I haven't had the fear of death since. And and that's why I joined the International Association of Near-Death Studies is because those people who had had near-death experiences could identify with what I was talking about and how I felt. From
0: my experience see the, the, I, i'll tell you what's happening right all at once right now albert all at once is what we're we're, we're probably experiencing in the, in the audience there are people who are probably saying oh this is baloney that you're just a very vivid dreamer and you have a wild imagination there are people in the audience who are who are uh who, who will think that any step outside of the bounds of our earthly plane is a step into the strictly demonic uh, there are people who are also saying, finally, I don't feel alone in this. Right. This has been happening to me my whole life, and um, it's, it's all happening at one point. And, I'll, and, I'll, and, and maybe I'll, just, I'll take this little area, this little opportunity to go into a couple of things that I had collected from friends and audience members because I think it will expand upon things you've already said. I have a King, friend. Uh,
4: Frank, can you hold that just a second because you mentioned something I really want to address. Okay, go ahead. I understand the skepticism completely and I'm not asking anyone to believe me. And I've been doing this for 25 years, so I'm not asking anyone to believe me this. I'm not the only one this is happening to people all over the world are having these, these type of, um, um, night paralysis, that type of thing. And all I say to you is experiment with your own self and find out you can answer your own truth. You don't have to believe me. There's certain things you can do and you will have some type of experience. I've gone all over, I've been to England and a few other places teaching this, and people, I've met a woman who had never had experience all her life, 40, 50, and I, all of a sudden, she started having experience. My mother, who was 75 years old, and she lived with the paralysis all of her life, and, and believed that the witches were riding her, or, and I shared with her this what, what I believed was going on. She experimented with it, and she called me up at three o'clock in the morning one time, and said, oh, my God, I got to share my experience. Well, I got to share. And I was half groggy. I said, who is this? She said, it's your mother. It's your mother. I said, what? She said, I, I woke up paralyzed uh, like I have so many times before. But at this time, instead of fighting and trying to get out of it like I normally do, I thought about what you said, and I began to relax. And she said, all of a sudden, I felt like someone was holding my hand. And she said, then I felt as if I was moving floating like above the bed and she said i could see and she said i wanted to see who was holding my hand and because she's a catholic she she said she described it this way she said i looked over and i looked into the face of my guardian angel so it's not about me and it never has been and that's what's so wonderful about this is that i don't have to convince anybody try it you are a soul just like me you see i would be
0: i would be I I would have a real tough time getting past the paralysis phase, uh, Albert. It's not easy. I I have a real tough time, and, and it's here's not the thing: easy. if I found myself in it, obviously you got to deal with it, and you got whatever. But the the to induce it, man, that would be a real rough thing for me to do to try to induce. Well,
4: undo- if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, and this would be it wouldn't be a big deal. Well, so it, it it is a challenge. Um, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Matter of fact, there's a brilliant light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. So, um, I know that it feels uncomfortable. I've dealt with it all my life. There, the slower you go through the process of separating from the physical body, the more things you will feel the heaviness, the breath, the, the, that kind of thing, the quicker you go from the through the paralysis to the out of body experience or detaching from the physical, the fewer things you feel. So, and with practice, you get better at it and you get faster and, you don't have to deal with that that kind of um discomfort and i also mentioned you know i, I mentioned to you that i have a, a um youtube show uh channel the paranormal spin on it uh, uh, in this particular the latest show i'm talking about how to get if if you don't so a lot of people don't want to have an out experience some people just want the paralysis to end and that's it and enough said and that's okay And I talk about it in one of the videos, the latest video, uh, about how to just get get out of it, how to end it as quickly as possible, and give a little bit of explanation of what's happening. And then you can pretty much end it, wake up, and go about your life the way you want to go without believing anything or experimenting at all.
0: I I can see it right there. And these are very short videos too. I think they'd be very very helpful. I'm going to I'm going to look into them cuz I didn't know about your YouTube channel until we spoke before the show. And um but you had just mentioned there uh, you had mentioned something about the, how common this is, or how li- how few people actually go and experiment with this, and 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 try to understand what's going on with them and what they're actually capable of. And everybody has their hang-ups, like me. I, I'd be a little bit just more uh, timid about doing it because I I, I just wouldn't want to bring that discomfort on voluntarily. But uh, the reason why I bring this up is because I have another thing. I have a uh, I have a friend. Who would have out-of-body experiences without trying? I have a couple mm-hmm. without trying. And my my girlfriend, uh, my lady friend, I should say. I'm I'm married. I don't have a girlfriend, but my lady friend. That doesn't sound any better. She tries using some. She tried using something not too long ago along the lines of binaural beats to help her sleep better. And right. uh, and, and, and these soundscapes that she was using at night. Uh, I actually had suggested some to her. She got in touch with me the next morning after using it for the first time, and she said that it was making her nightly out-of-body experiences far more intense to the point where it was not enjoyable after a a very short period of time. It was anxiety-inducing and she was waking up completely exhausted like it, it, so i wanted to ask you is there a limit to how much you can do this without overtaxing the mind is it the mind i mean i mean because you're saying you're, you're leaving your body behind and your soul is going for a uh, uh is going for an adventure uh in, into the night sky there but um w- what about people who are who are doing this at night is that just the difference between a lucid dream and an out-of-body experience. A, a lucid dream would be more so an inside-of-your-body thing, and you're, you would be taxing the mind? hmm Okay.
4: Yeah, a lucid dream will, could tire you out. Uh, any kind of dream, even a nightmare, could tire you out physically. But detaching from the physical, and, and dreaming is an altered state too, so it's not like we're talking about something completely separate. Where, instead of a light switch, we're talking about turning up a rheostat, the lower it is, the the lower the experience. You may just only have a dream. You turn it up to another notch, now in the dream becomes lucid. You turn it up to another notch and you become aware that not only are you in a dream state, but there's other beings of some sort. They're, they're either dream beings or there's something else. Turn it up even higher and all the dream material, uh, you no longer can perceive it, and then now you're fully aware that you're in some kind of uh, second body and these beings are interacting with you and you turn up even further and then you find out all the places you can go and the things you can do and you turn up even further and you have one of these awareness experiences that changes your consciousness of who and what you are. So that's kind of how it works is it's a slowly and gradual thing. Not everybody turns it all the way up to full, to high, to bright. Some some are just down in the lower level. Some turn it up and visit the center area, mid range and return. It really all depends on your intention. Hmm. And that's why I suggest to people is if you want to explore this, where I, I don't see why you, if it's gonna happen to you anyway, you may as well find out what it is. That's the way I look at it. But if you want to discover yourself, not about me, not about you, you want to discover your own soul, then why wouldn't you e- explore this kind of thing? And if you want to do that, then, you know, slowly experiment with it. The, better, the more you experiment with it, the better you get and the more comfortable you feel with it. And it, you won't get tired out and tuckered out. Matter of fact, what it's going to do is it's going to energize you and it's going to completely change your perspective on life. it it has changed. You know, I I can't say I was a spiritual person or religious or any of that. Yeah, I was an altar boy when I was in Catholic school, but I didn't, I wasn't, I was just, you know, I I didn't necessarily believe so much in what they were teaching me. Um, So I can't say that that, you know, that's where I started off being religious or whatever. What's going to happen? And matter of fact, what I believe today has nothing to do or very little to do with anything that I've read in any books anywhere except for a few metaphysical books like maybe you like Robert Monroe's journeys out of the body that's what I, I discovered but the thing is is you're going to discover that you don't have to believe what other people believe you will discover through experience which is not a belief it's a knowing that you are something beyond the physical you are something eternal you are something very, very special. And when you get to that point where you realize, Oh my God, I am a soul. You have to ask yourself, why did I come here in the first place? What's the point? What's the point of my life? What's the point of all life? And that involves growing to a point and evolving spiritually to the point where some of the things you asked me about in your questionnaire about, you know, controlling your destiny, uh, dreams are, 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 Pathways to a better life that, that that's when those doors open up to those kind of capabilities and Miracles truly truly do happen after that
0: well during your let me ask you this about your your medical hiatus that you were Just on were you still leaving your body at night? Is it harder to do that when you're ill? Because I have to imagine a lot of people would prefer being out of their body as much as possible when they're sick Recovering from an illness or an injury or even dying Um what, what, what were you? Did you use this in any kind of a therapeutic way uh, w- during the time that you were laid up?
4: Um, the I'd say the waking state was horrible, um, and I did not have as many normal, normal any I could say normal, and <laughs> any um, out of body experiences uh, as frequent as as I normally do. Um, My body was so worn out from being awake and and dealing with this um, anemic kind of situation that just going to sleep was a relief. And that's about all I wanted to do. And I had to do that. Otherwise, I don't think I could have gotten up in the morning and been able to function because it was really wearing me out. And I dealt with it for like at least two and a half years, which took its toll on me. Uh, until I started getting better and that's one of the reasons um, I, I started to channel because I started feeling better started feeling more like myself my soul started feeling feeling more energized and that's why I called you because I started feeling better and I'm starting to have my experiences again but when I was sick it's unless you're close to near death which is another issue you really having an out of experience experiences is very difficult or lucid dream is very difficult
0: yeah especially if you're not in a state where you can actually relax yourself because what you've yeah. described so far relaxing and 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 letting go it's very hard when you're holding a lot of tension and a lot of fear um, especially in a time of sickness I mean is there yeah. is there any way is there any way you know people talk about very loosely about pulling ideas and inspirations from the uh, inspiration about one thing or another from the ether. You know, just pulling an idea out of uh, from the ether and, and and making it real. Could mm-hmm. you dip into the astral plane to solve a problem, or or to better yet, to observe even the distant past, or anything like that? Or is it really? Uh, it, it's not about time travel, or or having uh, endless amount of uh, information or history at your fingertips. Can you can you obtain information you did not once have?
4: Yes, in- you can. But there are a lot of factors and variables involved in that. Um, meaning that we kind of, on the big, big picture, we as souls have a, um, a path that's kind of we've agreed uh, to, uh, to go along, to, to walk. Um, and that path, you, it, when you're talking about spiritual evolution, there's certain things that need to happen to promote that or uh, as a catalyst for you growing as a spiritual being. So you don't have the power necessarily to upset the cart and shake all that up because you've already made a plan and an agreement to go along a certain path. So there's certain things you're not going to be able to retain. You may be able to access some kind of information. And then when you get back to the physical, it never transfers from that, um, conscious soul state to the physical being brain state just never gets there how many times do you wake up in the middle of the night after having some kind of dream and you couldn't remember what you were oh, dreaming
0: it's like trying to hug smoke yeah i can. I, I i man how do, is there any way and that's a great way of putting it is there any way to uh any kind of practice to just at least better remember the dream that you had the night before write Not, it
4: down it wow. is important. There's a window when you wake up. There's a tiny, tiny window where you remember almost everything that's happened, and that is a fleeting window, and it will disappear and dissipate within minutes. So, what I suggest to everyone is have a journal or tablet right by your bed, or even a recorder of some sort, and put those memories, those that experience of that memory, that memory into the recorded as soon as possible because what's going to happen is, and a lot of people say, Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about your memory of it. I'm talking about your emotional memory of it. The emotions, uh, dwindle and, and mm-hmm. evaporate. So you could, I could recount a story, uh, that happened to me, but there won't be any kind of passion and, and that kind of thing that I have when I, if I would have told you right after I had the experience. you know, it's almost historical rather than emotionally historical. Mm. So it's really important to write those, those all those things down immediately after they happen. And then what's, what could happen. And that's what I did with my book. You know, you never know where that's going to go. You never know who it's going to help. It may help you. It's like pieces of, of the puzzle. It's really important to keep all the pieces so you can see the big picture. So you never know. I can tell you this, it's been years and I can sit down and read my book now because I captured the emotions immediately after and I'm there again it brings me back but if I hadn't done that if I just tried to write it chronologically years later it would have just been a story that I wouldn't have really been able to connect with and identify with, or you remember the emotional impact it had on me.
0: Right, right. Especially when you're writing it down, you're actually writing it with the energy that you've already, that at the moment, And the passion, yeah.
4: and excitement, and all of that.
0: That that you are only have, you're only in possession of in that moment, and you gotta right. okay, I hey, you know, I I guess I right. gotta just uh, write faster. I wake up, I I I grab Get a it.
4: recorder. I have a recorder. I use sometimes, where I just grab it real quick, and I, I'll talk into it real quick and tell the story or, 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 or whatever. And that way it's a, a little bit of it is captured. And maybe I can transfer it to some kind of written format later, but uh, at least it's coming out of, it's as you know, it's like witnessing a car accident. You know, if you, if the, if you're a witness and the policeman comes up to you and says, Hey, what did you see? And he questions you right away. He gets a very detailed story and emotional story of, of what you saw. But if he comes to your house a week or two later and tells you, you'll go, oh, I think there was a guy on the corner. I I can't really say for now. I don't really remember. It loses a lot of the details and the emotional impact of of the experience.
0: Yeah. Uh, and and, and uh,
4: it's lost forever.
0: It is. I've lost so much forever. I wake up. I say, oh, that was incredible. I'll definitely remember that after I have this, this, this second round of sleep at just before dawn i'll remember that and it's all gone but let me ask you a few other things because i find these to be very fascinating questions and uh and i don't want to i don't want to lose out here a listener wrote into the show um, about a month or so after your last visit and told me about an out-of-body experience a session where they had encountered a black cube in deep space they said that if you were to think about the blackness of space the black cube was blacker than black. Like there was just a void there, and uh, he said he said that as he approached the cube, he heard a, a booming, titanic voice reprimanding him for being out there, and he was suddenly shot back, seemingly across the galaxy into his body. Have you ever encountered anything like that out there?
4: I have not. Um, exactly a cube, um, a void of darkness. Yes. Yes. Um, something saying that you're not supposed to be here or what are you doing here? Are you afraid? That happens, that has happened to me. It has happened to numerous other travelers. But because I think, I don't know if auto body experiences are planned and, um, and, fu- and fully, like if the other side, the beings on the other side, whoever they are, if they really know that it's gonna happen. I think it, it's, a, it's a quirk almost. And you just happen to be there at the, because, you're, because we still have free will. So we're making decisions on, on the fly. And I think that's throwing a little mix into the thing. And sometimes encounters on the other side are really surprised to see you. And they, it, it's like it's unplanned at, at all. And they never, never expected it because you don't fit the norm. The average person is afraid. I, my family, almost 99% of them, are afraid of what I talk about. You know, they don't embrace this. So for a person to explore this, and I mean, and fear is okay. You're going to be a little bit afraid. It t- takes practice, you will you know, to, to become more secure and, and confident in what you're trying to do. But there, I don't necessarily believe that the other side is prepared for Beings who are now starting to embrace their soul identity and their soul consciousness I, I think I think it's pleasant and it's a wonderful thing, but it may be a surprise to them
0: I often wonder I often wonder. I was talking about this with a friend of mine who actually bought your book after your first appearance and we were talking about it on vacation one time uh, he came out. We he met up with my family, and we were all just uh, chilling for a bit. And that was one of the things that he was thinking: um, you, you, what is, What's the good or the bad? Um, uh, what are the ramifications, good or bad, if humanity learns to astral project in much larger numbers? I mean, I, I I already wonder about what you know when when you are traveling around on your in your journeys at night or or whenever that you are leaving your body. Uh, Is it like a scene from Ghost where there's just other people living currently on the Earth that are just going about the... Did you ever meet up uh, even just by accident with another living traveler from the Earth and you say, hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Wyoming or I'm from Italy or something like that. And have you ever met up with somebody on the astral plane and then, hey, look me up when you get back down there? Did you ever do that?
4: I've had encounters with other travelers, let's say, but we never planned to meet up physically. Um, I've, I know a, uh, a son and mother who had a, a near-death experience where they were hit by a car at the same time, and while out of their bodies they were looking at each other and acknowledged each other. Um, but I, ha- I, And I'm not saying it's impossible, but you don't really think about Physical things as much. And, and let me let me talk, let me explain it this way. When you first come out of your physical body, there you're basically on the lowest plane of existence and consciousness. It, some people call it the astral plane, and the astral plane is not just somewhere else. The astral plane is kind of mixed in with the physical world. So that's the lowest uh, level of awareness. As you start moving beyond that, you move beyond. The physical, and it becomes an ethereal kind of environment. And and in order to get to that, your vibrational level, evolutionary spiritual level, has to be at that has to be able of moving higher. Otherwise, you never get to that point. But also, in order to move to a higher plane, certain things become irrelevant and don't mean anything anymore. And you see how superficial they are. Uh, Because at that level, as you start moving higher and higher in consciousness, the only thing that really matters is things that are timeless. Um, Your connection with individuals and people and love is timeless and things like that. And that's where things become more important and more memorable than just something physical on the lower planes. That happens. Yeah. And I mean, you can. It is possible to meet somebody on the other side. You can plan it all you want, but if it doesn't go in, if it doesn't um, intermingle or promote spirit, your own personal spiritual evolution, the chances of it happening and you remembering or, or any type of positive um, um, contact from it, uh, in lack of better better word, is probably not going to stick and it's probably not going to work or you might not remember at all. Um, But it is possible. I can't say that it isn't. But after you, you know, I I have to go back to the Bible quote. In my father's house, there are many mansions. When you're able to move beyond just the average everyday life, you're not going to be all that interested in what's going on here that much because there are so many amazing things beyond this. It's like, if I'm a truck driver, I don't want to be on the other side and driving a truck. (laughs) I want to find out what else is going on. If you can fly, I mean, sometimes I get so wrapped up in just flying around that I don't think about the the real world and the real things that I can do in my physical body. So um, it's overwhelming. Uh, You're not alone too, that's another factor. And when you find out that you're not alone, that's going to take some of your attention. And then if it reveals something like or has a permanent effect on you, like losing the fear of death forever, that's going to have a profound effect. As a matter of fact, the most profound effect anything, any physical or earthly experience could have on you.
0: I I guess that answers a lot of the questions that I I had uh, about near-death experiences Especially how they compared to just out-of-body experiences or remote viewing or uh, because you know people's people's uh, Tellings of of those stories are so vastly different from each other Some you know some are positive some are negative people are uh, and then people who are agnostic to life continuing after death they have all um you know fallen over themselves to explain those post post-mortem visions as just being attributed to your brain flame, uh flaming out and you're just right. you know, whatever so it's it, it's interesting to hear you talk about it that way i also i think the last time you were on you know, I, when you tell me the story about Kim and stuff like that, if I were Kim or if I were the, the near-death experience teacher, the first thing I would be thinking is, Albert, why are you in my house? What if I was undressed? You know, what if I was undressed at the time? If you if you saw Kim naked, would you say, oh, by the way, I, uh,
4: I saw you in the buff? You know, that, that, that gets me a little... Uh, a, that's a, that's lower-level thinking. Think about this. Does, this is my question. Is Does the soul have a gender? why would it have a gender we only have genders for appropriation and mating and all that but does the soul have a gender because if it doesn't have a gender the physical it doesn't matter your physical body doesn't matter matter of fact in higher states you actually leave the astral body and you're in a different a a third body Mm. so none of that matters except on the very lower lower levels and believe me, there are a lot of beings who get stuck at that lower level. But as you move in consciousness, it's like, you know, I, 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 when I was in college, I took some art classes. And in the art classes, they had new models. Well, I guess somebody could sit there and look at the new model and gawk at them. Or someone could look beyond that and become the artist and learn how, body, how the body is shaped and formed and all that. So would thinking on the lower level hold me back in my, in my wanting to be an artist? Yes. W- thinking beyond that, would it expand my comp- con- consciousness and allow me to create things that are beyond um, my, dream, my wildest dreams? Yes. So when you're in the out-of-body state, if you want to focus on lower-level things, then that's not, you're not going to get very far. And as a matter of fact, that seems really boring to me Yeah. because most of that stuff you can do in the physical world. I don't want, like I said, I don't want to be a truck driver in real life and then be a truck driver on the other side. It's true. I, you know, so yes, uh, you could, but Kim was, because I was thinking uh, the last thing I noticed, I didn't even think about her gender. Even I thought about her as this friend of mine, this soul, this, this being, it wasn't a gender thing. So um, I don't think, you know, and I understand how we, we worry about that. My my aunt who did rest her soul, I, when my book first came out, I started telling her about the Audubon experiences that I'm having and all that. And she said, if you come to my house, she said, I'm going to shoot you, shoot at you.
3: <laughs> really? and I
4: laughed because she wasn't thinking of. This is a soul or a spirit coming into the room. She was thinking of it as this physical ghost-like intruder that's shooting. You know, you can shoot at. Yeah, it's a true,
0: an intruder in the house.
4: Yeah, so that's where she was. But that's not what's happening at all. As you turn up the rheostat, a lot of things that we really think are important in the physical are not important because they're not timeless.
0: Let me. Okay, so then I have one last question for you for this uh, for this session, and I I love to have you back for a third round at some point. Maybe maybe later on in the summer. Maybe me
4: and Stewie.
0: Oh yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey. And anytime you're anytime you're in in New York for some godforsaken reason, you're always welcome to come and hang out in studio as well.
4: I would love to do that.
0: But uh, here here's uh, here's my last question. Uh, we have talked a lot since your first appearance about the metaverse virtual reality and how we have uh, we're, we're taking a look at this 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 new rising phase of ai artificial intelligence virtual spaces where they want people uploaded into we're talking about microchips we're talking about transhumanism a lot these days and um you know, they're all openly talking. They, I say, people like the World Economic Forum, these technocrat types, they openly talk about remaking mankind, and they are serious about it. Now, um, microchipping, the Internet of Things, singularity, this communion of man as nature intended with this reality-augmenting machines, um, as someone who has spent so, uh, you know, a good portion of his life at this point now exploring metaphysical human potential... How does this concept of singularity with machines play with you?
4: Well, um, that you know, I, I'm I'm very much into VR. Um, I have four headsets my uh, at, here surrounding me right now. I play I play all kinds of things in VR. But the thing is, is that it's all in the physical world. Um, we can. We, I don't know. I you know, I'm really excited about where we're going to go with with artificial intelligence and virtual reality and and mixed reality i'm really excited about that but it's it's got a cap on it and it's in the physical world and there's just i don't believe that you know like in star trek how they you know especially picard how they transferred his consciousness if i don't know if anybody's even watches the show besides me <laughs> <laughs> but they transferred his consciousness to a, an android like being i think even the old uh, tos uh star trek talked about that well, that I don't think is possible. I think they're, because of the plan that's really going on, that's bigger than us, bigger than our physical bodies, bigger than the con- the soul, bigger than the world, bigger than the star system, bigger than the galaxy, something that's timeless and, and um, amazingly vast. I don't think that we, uh, as, as beings, are going to be able to bridge the artificial intelligence world with the non-physical soul consciousness world. I think they're very separate. They may, one may influence the other, but I don't think we're going to be able to connect them somewhere down. So the you're, range. S-
0: you're saying that the soul is far too powerful to be trapped by anything man can create.
4: Not only powerful, but its purpose is far larger than anything we could possibly come up with on this planet.
0: Interesting. what a one, what a really enthralling conversation uh, Dr. Albert Taylor. I see that there 's already a good amount of people who have showed up on your YouTube account and, and given you a nice uh, sub, uh, subscribe. I hope that people do that and keep up with you because uh, this will be a great way to to just to see what you're you 're doing in the in between times before uh, between visits over here. Is there anything that you want to leave people with uh, especially plugs or the projects you're working on outside of your podcast or anything else before we take off for the night?
4: Well what I did is I, I left some space. I my, the show is called the Paranormal Spin and what I do is I spin the wheel at the end of every show and pick the let it pick the topic for the next show. I've left purposely left some spaces open because I want my subscribers out there and if you're interested and you have a topic that you want me to explore I want you to leave that in the comments because I will add that to the the wheel and then when we spin the wheel we'll address that topic that you're very very interested in so I would appreciate that and thank you for uh mentioning my um my my uh, show because this is something new for me you know I was ill and now I'm feeling great and I'm really excited about this and I hope that this is another vehicle that I can uh, help reach people and maybe help them along the, the their journey, uh, their spiritual journeys in the future.
0: Well, I know that I'm going to have plenty of follow-up questions uh, being written down, scribbled down in the days after... Uh, we conclude tonight. So, uh, there'll be plenty of things to talk about next time you're here. Dr. Albert Taylor, thank you for sharing yourself with us again. And I hope that you get plenty My of pleasure. correspondence and, and I'm, and again, so happy that you're feeling better and, uh, and enjoying life. So thank you for everything.
4: Thank you, Frank. It's been a pleasure to be here. You have a good one.
0: All right. Bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, a really quick intermission. We come back, and we just sift through what you guys and gals are thinking. I feel great. I don't know about you, but it's a Thursday night, and this is just... This just feels good. All right, don't go anywhere.
1: It's intermission time,
0: folks. Time out. Press the like button. Thank you. Ladies
3: and gentlemen. Welcome. We'll we'll be right back. Yeah, intermission. i mm-hmm.
2: We're now entering
1: quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly
4: quite frankly quite frankly
1: quite frankly 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 quite
4: frankly quite
1: frankly
0: quite frankly
3: quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite quite frankly
4: Get out of here, Dewey. What are y'all doing in here? We're smoking reefer, and you don't want no part of this shit. You're smoking reefers?
0: Yeah, of course we are. Can't you smell it?
1: No, Sam. I can't.
2: Come on, Dewey. Join the party.
3: No, Dewey. You don't want this. Get out of here. You know what? I don't want no hangover. I can't get no hangover. It doesn't give you a hangover. W- whoa. I get addicted to it or something? It's not habit-forming. Oh, okay, well, I don't know. I don't want to overdose on it. You can't OD on it. It's not going to make me want to have sex,
4: is it? It makes sex even better. Sounds kind of expensive. It's the cheapest drug there is. Hmm. You don't want it? I think I kind of want it. Okay, but just this once. Come on in.
1: A Boise, Idaho woman is considered a medical
0: miracle. Laura Esterman was struck by lightning nearly a month ago, and she was considered officially dead. Thankfully, CPR from her mom revived her heart, but she laid in a coma for
1: two weeks, and then she defied all odds and woke up. um, 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 um. Well... Obviously, there was a problem with that tape. She doesn't really sound like that. She doesn't remember the accent. but the evidence is clear. I am so sorry. Uh, 420 was the birthday of Austrian-born German politician and the leader of the National Socialist German Workers' Party, a fella went by the name of Adolf Hitler. Um, but this guy, there's a picture of him, Adolf Hitler, very compelling kind of a figure. Odd-looking duck, but there's something about his eyes, hypnotic. Um, the- his eyes are almost entirely black. Um, they, they play- he was a decorated veteran of World War I, <laughs> and he joined the war. Hold the fort. He hated Jews. But anyways, you know what? I'm sick of these kind of characters. I think we should kill Hitler. Me and you go suicide kill him. Yeah, it was like, he it's like died 50 years ago probably. Did he? I didn't yeah. even know he was sick. He wasn't. Well. No, it's
0: I didn't even know he was sick. All right. Okay, so here we go. It is 8.42, and I think that we have used the time wisely. You have chosen wisely. Let's get on into our, let's get on into our, where we go? Perfect. All right, into our Super Chats. Quite frankly, superchat.com. Shotzi says, hey, Frank, just stopping by to say you're the best. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Stostube says, great Thursday, Frank. Great independent media bringing us wonderful guests. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Oh, I'm so happy we're talking about this instead of blue checkmark reactions on Twitter. It's okay. It's okay. Let's... Let let people do what you have to do. Everybody that was around here tonight, just throw your arm around them and say, this was good, right? I'm happy you were here. Thank you. This is the future. This is the future. KT Sky D, thank you for the tip. Very happy to have you there. Blue Ridge Commentary says, I agree with the yard sale jewelry. Let's start using Democrat voters instead of these uh, racist... Male bigot dummies, yes. I don't want any of those crash test dummies in there. How dare they? All white males hogging up all of the car accidents. Terrible. Terrible. Kusiga says, always amazing shows, Frank. Just wanted to get into that book raffle. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad that you have. I'm glad that you have. I'm going to be announcing that winner tomorrow night. Uh, If you're listening to this, you can... You can drop a super chat in at any time off air, and I'll read it the next day. Quite frankly, superchat.com. And if you didn't put one in in the last two weeks, drop one in, and you are automatically in the running here for my copy of Brave New World, which I cannot wait to get into the mail. All right, any uh, Rumble rants? Nope, everybody's just hanging tight over there on the Rumble and chilling. Okay, on pill.net. Let's get to some of these gold pills. Thank you, Sean Joe. Rook Castle says, autogonophilia is defined as male's propensity to be sexually aroused by the thought of himself as a female. I know. We were talking about that uh, early last week. Jesse, 81138. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Sean. Keith says, your take on the news gives me comfort after TV, TV cockatoos all day. Do it, Frank. I'm glad. I'm glad. That's one. T- See, How, what do you, you want to just run through the news? We've got to, we've got to mock the news. It's the only way to read it, at least most of it. There's always big news that pops up that you just go, well, that makes sense. Boys Blanc says here is a can that won't make you gay. Happy 420. Thank you so much, Boys Blanc. Rook Castle again says, "What about trans dummy rights? I know I know. Just don't know hey listen most of those most of those those dummies crash test dummies don't have any genitalia, so they can go either way, which is why I don't know why that clown why the witch from Snow White from Connecticut is going so nuts We need more women in there. why? why they have bones do men and women not have bones and flesh and blood in the same organs I know we have different uh, reproductive organs but geez what what we all come in different sizes different weights there are there are women that are heavier than men men that are heavier than women women that are taller than men men that are far taller than the tallest woman I, I don't I don't get it but that's what that's what Rose DeLoro, whatever her name is, she wrote. She wrote in furiously with all of her yard sale jewelry jingling along the way. Van uh, Van Halion says, "Holy shit, that was really him! I thought they shopped a, a shopped in a zippy." The pinhead. What really? Who? I don't know. This was from so long ago. I forget what we were talking about. Jesse, thank you. Thank you again. Dragonfly says wanted to try. Uh, I want to try tonight. Go download a good binaural beat uh, app. I uh, I like SleepStream, an app on At- on Atmosphere Android. Well, there is also the there's the the Toby Wright stuff. You remember Toby Wright? He was one of our. I think he was a guest of ours on January fifth. You should go listen to that episode again if you haven't because it was Toby Wright's binaural well binaural beats that um, that sent my my friend's lucid dreaming into overdrive I said well you might ha- you might have to use a different beat there's all types of stuff over there and I ha- I have a friend George my friend George I should have brought this up maybe I'll bring it up next time he told me once we were we, me and the guys we all went out for steak one night and he said Frank I'm telling you I have to smoke, I have to smoke a, a, at least a joint to the face every night before I go to bed or, or some cannabis oil or something. Because if I don't, I am going to have an out of body experience. Out of body experience. And he's not talking about lucid dreaming. He's talking about feeling the vibration, that rush of sound and rocketed. With no control, I guess it's something you have to try to learn how to control. Rocketed out of his body, going to insane altitudes and, I don't know, going all over the place. And then collapsing back down at some other point. He said, if I I don't smoke. So I wanted to know what pharmaceuticals, things like cannabis, alcohol can do to hinder a person's ability to, um, to travel like that. I don't know. Interesting stuff though. paulie 9363 says the second attention. Teachings of Don Juan. Jay Bruskies, thank you. Robert Sarnes, thank you, and Chai Possum. Thank you guys so much rounding all that out. I'm releasing the scratch and right now over there on Foxhole. It is um it's been a good night. Let's take a call or two. Uh four one two, you're on the air. Who's this? This
2: is Margaret. Margaret your question about have you ever met another living soul out there yes I have Not I I don't do this on purpose it freaks me out to do it on purpose but I've done it my whole life one one night I was on my way to Chicago I'm from Pennsylvania was on my way to Chicago and I got lost and I stopped at this little store And a lady gave me, talked to me and showed me all around her town and showed me how proud she was of this town and the street lights and this real distinctive clock. And she showed me all about uh, about it. And I'm like, like, I'm thinking, well, this is great, but I'm trying to get to Chicago. And she uh, said, where are you from? And I said, the town in Pennsylvania. And she said, oh, my goodness, my good friend. So-and-so, who is my father-in-law, is from that town. I said, you're kidding me. That's my father-in-law. And she said, oh, my God. I said, hi. I love him. I love all the memories of this town in Pennsylvania. And um, from what I knew, all his relatives were in um, Delaware or Pennsylvania. So I, I didn't even know he had anybody in Chicago. So joking the next day, I said, Hey, I met your aunt last night. And he's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I met your aunt on my way to Chicago last night. And she told me to tell you hi. And he got real quiet. And he says, you know, I do have an aunt. She's just outside of Chicago, but she's in a coma. And I said, shut up. And he said, yeah, she's in a coma. And she's just, I said, well, I'll tell you what, give me her address because she toured me all around her town. And she showed me all these things she was proud of, and I would recognize it. Tell me her address so I could, you know, look at this. This is crazy. And he gave me the address that he gets Christmas cards from. And it was this business park with, like, weird, nothing like what I saw in the gym. So I wrote it off. So this aunt died a week later. And in the obituary, it said that she was, uh, real popular in this small town outside of chicago and that she was instrumental in getting these street lights put in and this clock tower and i'm like shut up shut up why cause she, she showed I'm, you because
0: she showed you the clock tower and stuff
2: yes yes so but when bill when when my father-in-law gave me the address that he gets christmas cards from it was nothing like it turns out where he got the Christmas cards from was when she was in the old folks home in the coma. So it wasn't the town that she was instrumental in. It wasn't the town that she showed me all around, but in the obituary when they sang her praises, and said how instrumental she was in this other town. I went on Google earth in the other town and it was this crazy town. She toured me all through and wow. she was instrumental in the thing. So, I don't, um, play with people who just lost someone because it's sacred and I don't want to be like, ehe, ehe, and you, 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 mother, you know, I didn't hear you.
0: No, 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 no. I'm listening.
2: Oh, there you are. Okay. So anyway, but in this case, I felt like if she worked this hard from a coma to make herself known and, and to shout out to my father-in-law, then then i owe this to the family so i um sent a little thing i'm so sorry i know this is sacred time for you and i'm not trying to be a weirdo but this is my experience and um then my father-in-law said that yeah i do have this relative here and they said the son I, i connected with the son and he said you know, the last lucid thing she said before she went into the coma was all about this little town in Pennsylvania. And she mentioned my father. They said, he said, that's the last lucid thing. So I firmly believe that even people, and I've, and I work, I do, um, digital manipulation. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but, um, Jean-Pierre Baral, but, um, I work with people who have brain injuries and things like that, and I firmly believe that another thing came up in this conversation, this is the best show ever, that um, can you travel when you're sick and, and not well? And like this lady clearly did. She was in a coma, but she, she wasn't dead. Normally I see people who are on the other side, but she wasn't, she wasn't dead yet, but yet she shouted out to my father-in-law and left a message so that her son and the other people would know that she, she was good she, you know even during this trauma she was good she was he was she was that sole reality that this gentleman that you just had on i love this show well
0: this is, I, I'm, i've done my
2: me my brother and my father have this these kinds of experiences our whole life but we live in the real world and we don't talk about until we call into crazy
0: show oh yeah no yeah no call in this this is the show for that there really is uh i'm i'm so happy you got through tonight thank you for that i know a lot of people are going to digest that one for another couple of hours thank you for the call what's your name again let me put, i want to add you in here margaret Mark i'm gonna say margaret all right margaret so there you go. Good. I have a little nickname in here for so you. Anyway,
2: thank, um, thank you, yeah, Margaret. I've called it in a couple times with weird ones. Anyway, thank you. This show. Oh my goodness. Yes, it's singing my song. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Have a great Have a great evening. That was that was a real amazing contribution. Just a tremendous contribution. Um, what are you gonna say? Oh, that didn't happen. All right. All right. Uh, this this kind of stuff makes me hopeful. Even more hopeful and in awe. It in no way challenges my faith. Um this this is just this is wonderful. I love talking about this stuff and it is in no way shape or form upsetting or off-putting. Uh 561 who's this?
3: This is Jr. down in Delray Beach, Florida. How you doing,
0: Frank? I'm doing. I'm doing well, Jr. Jr. I've got. I I only have four minutes left, so I'd love to give you a, uh, about a minute of that in case we have another caller or two. So go right ahead.
3: Okay. Well, I want to talk about your subject. Okay. You, the people that habit these human bodies. I'm going to try call back another night if you want to check some t- about t- t- it. That t- t- guy was interesting.
0: Take a couple of... T- I mean, well, now we got three minutes left. Take the last two minutes out of the last three. Go ahead.
3: Well, it's that old saying you uh, see on the T-shirt sometime, like uh, they say, are you a human having a spiritual experience? Or are you a spiritual entity having a human experience?
0: Yeah.
3: How you look at things sometimes?
0: It Well, tonight, I would say, is one of those, those ways that uh, you, it's the latter. You know, even our last caller talking about uh, just having that image because I've had family members very, very close to me, um, <clears throat> and, and and their lives in a coma, and and being by their their bedside and and seeing them in this you know static state, and you know you, your heart breaks and you remember the good times, but to think that on the other side of this coin, their soul is 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 quite possibly as as jubilant and as mobile and as vibrant as ever and that we are just really only seeing a fraction of what creation really means you know we think of creation we think of the mountains and the streams and the oceans and and weather and the and, and you know the stars in the sky and all that stuff but it, it's a, that just may be one
3: very very thin sliver <laughs> sliver of the whole thing exactly but you know, the, like short time, like you said, I love chatting with you, love your show. You know, I'm the RH-9 group down here. We always try to mail a message, y'all. But, you know, welcome to the Great Awakening. Everything's changed. So think different. Everything you've been taught and told has been a lie.
0: So you said your name is JR?
3: Welcome to the Great Awakening. JR's going to go. Okay. pre taking J- Joker, we're out of here.
0: I'll say, oh, wonderful! I just saved him as J R, R H negative. So, hope you know, there you go. Nice little thing there. Eight fifty nine. I mean, I wish we had a little bit more time, but um, I just kind of move along. And tomorrow is another night. We can take more calls tomorrow night. We've got uh, Matt will be in, Shane Cashman will be in, and these are guys who love talking about things that have to do with, you know, the unknown paranormal the supernatural cracking a few jokes along the way so whatever kind of thoughts you have hold them send me emails I'll read them on the air don't 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 send me five chapters just give me a couple of really well thought out paragraphs and um, I'll do that if you if you don't think you'll be able to call in so I think we know what we're going to do to be doing tomorrow such a wonderful night tonight I'm glad it happened always glad it happened And uh, and happy that you guys have been keeping me company over here. Thank you, Larkstar. Larkstar said I paid four bucks on Twitter to follow Elon so I could promote, quite frankly, TV. Why not? Thanks for a great week of entertainment, Frank. Love to all. It takes four dollars to follow Elon Musk. Didn't know about that. Well, I won't be uh, paying to follow anybody on Twitter. I can tell you that much. But I will use the platform to promote the show. So um, with that. Thank you, guys and gals. QuiteFrankly.tv, if you're not there right now, get over there because it is Throwback Thursday. It's Throwback Thursday, and the night has only begun. So until tomorrow, tomorrow's Friday, but it's not the last day of the week. Good night.
3: I'll catch you on the flip side.
0: quite frankly, is film before a live studio audience. And now our super chatter, starting with Larkstar, Shotzi, Stostube, KT Sky D, Blue Ridge Commentary, and Kusiga. Thank you all my friends over there on on uh, uh, Foxhole on quitefrankly.tv. And uh, to everyone else, tomorrow is another day. Please become a sponsor of the show. You can find all those links in the description below or on the Sponsor Us tab on QuiteFrankly.tv when you're watching tonight's programming. Get on over and have a wonderful evening.